Praise the Lord. All right. Good morning, everybody. So good to see each of you here. If I'm kind of a little crippled here, it's because I worked so hard yesterday on that building. But uh, no, we would love to have you come. We are so excited. And it is uh, just a few minutes away. We're going to talk this morning about consistency. And for those of you that are family online, we've got quite a group now, and we are so grateful that uh, you listen, those that live stream and others that listen after the fact and so and during the week. So praise the Lord. We're glad that you're with us. And if you just happen to just kind of find us today, do not uh, change what you're doing because God led you and uh, you don't want to miss what God has for you. It's a divine appointment for sure. So we love you. Can't wait to give you a beautiful socially distanced hug. And uh, we're looking forward to meeting everybody. By the way, that new building is going to be so great because uh, one of the things is uh, for those and for those online, uh, you know, it's going to be about twice as big or so. And uh, so be plenty of places to socially distance yourself. You can just see it anywhere you want and uh, you can be out there in the middle of nowhere and still be uh, along with your family. Well, this morning we're going to talk about five ways consistency can bring God's blessing to you and your family. At the end of the service, we're going to just go right into one of the most, uh, probably the sweetest service we have every year, and that is where we dedicate to new born children to the Lord, and for those who perhaps uh, you've never dedicated your marriage to the Lord, or you've never dedicated your children to the Lord, uh, I just encourage you to do so. It is scriptural to do so. The parents of Jesus came and dedicated him to the Lord. Uh, The parents of uh, Samuel, and it is a scriptural thing to do. And uh, you say, what happens? Well, it puts the blessings of God in a very special way. And of course, uh, along with that, there's an accountability as parents because we're dedicating to raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And so I would just encourage every parent to do that. And if you weren't really uh, thinking about doing it today, we'll pray about it during the service because I believe uh, it'd be a great blessing to you both. One of the greatest, uh, or if you're here as a single parent as well, one of the greatest uh, attributes of our great God is his wonderful predictability of his character. Now, while it's not a Bible verse, it is often true that God works in mysterious ways. That's a pretty accurate truth most of the time. And, um, but I will tell you, there's nothing mysterious about his character. God is predictable. He loved us while we were sinners. And now that I am a child of God, He still loves me. He is very predictable in His character. He is also predictable in His hatred of sin. He is a God who is consistent in His character with reliable regularity, no gimmicks, no fads, no hype. God consistently does the amazing and does it over and over again. It's no surprise then that if that's his character, then that's what he desires from his children, that we have a consistent life. And I don't believe there's any place that that shows up any more graphically than in our marriages and in our family. If there is little consistency or sadly no consistency in our home life, there is no way to really accomplish a great marriage or a great family. Our goals are going to be frustrated. 
And I will tell you, it is extremely frustrating to live with a person who's not consistent. If you have an inconsistent husband or an inconsistent wife, or if you're both inconsistent, or you have inconsistent parents, I mean, it is just a disaster. It is such a strain on relationship, and it is just no fun to be in that kind of situation. Many a fractured life, many a strained relationship has been broken by the unsteady, changeable, herky-jerky, up one day, down the next kind of person. Folks, it is just terrible to be around a person like that. And let's uh, today purpose that we are going to be a consistent person. I think too many of us are like the fellow who said, I was once a consistent person. (laughs) Once was enough. (laughs) It seems like uh, that's where we're at most of the time. I I used to be, but you know, I want to Uh, be a consistent person. And I'm excited this morning about sharing these five principles with you. And uh, I got to tell you, I've just uh, been so praying that one of these verses or more, but at least one of these verses would just, uh, would just strike uh, your clock there. I mean, you just say, I got it. I got that. And I've been praying because I know that my job this morning is to be God's communicator. And so if you'll listen, and if you'll be willing to receive it as God's Word, then I believe we're in for some awesome results. And so let's all bow our heads for prayer. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity. You know, Lord, all week long I've been praying, I've been waiting on you. Lord, I've been just asking you for wisdom, I've been trying to work through this, Lord. And I just ask that you would just meet with us. Lord, I know that it's no accident each are here. And for many people that I do know and some that I don't know, Lord, would you speak to them? You know them all. And I pray the Lord they'll give a a listen to this fellow up here that's standing before them. I pray that they'll trust me. I pray that, Lord, you'll just speak to them as we go through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Consistency. First of all, let me begin by saying what we're not saying. We're not talking about being consistently silly or consistently nitpicky. We're not talking about failing to make positive change because, hey, that's the way we've always done it, or perhaps it's too hard to think, or, you know, I don't even care about making things better. It reminds me of the fellow who said Pizza Hut is very consistent. The pizza always tastes exactly like the box that it comes in. And so we don't want to be consistently bad. We want to be consistently godly. Now, I will say that the message today is going to be a little bit different. Typically, we try to find a passage that explains uh, the theme. And next week, I'm excited because I'm going to begin a series on on the omnipotence of God. And so we'll find passages that explain that and kind of go through that uh, verse by verse, and then at the same time, uh, uh, find other supporting verses. But today I'm going to kind of jump all around, but I I don't have a problem with that because the one thing I've found about the Bible is it's good everywhere you cut it. Any way you look at it, it's always good. My dear wife and I, a couple years ago now, went down to, went over to San Francisco and took one of those little walking food tours, and we went to the North Beach. And uh, I, I love Italian food. I love especially salami. And we tasted some homemade, handmade salami over there. And I will tell you, 
boy, it's completely different than the salami. You know, you just get in the store. It is just, it was amazing. Or as they say over there, delizio. You know, I mean, it was just, it was so wonderful. And so I found a, a little tube of that and I brought it home. And you know what I found out about that salami? I found out if you cut it at the beginning, it's good. If you cut it in the middle, it's good. And if you cut it at the end, it's good. And folks, that's like the Bible. It's like the best stick of salami you ever had. I'm talking about delicious. It's good everywhere. And so I might be jumping around a little bit, but uh, it's delizio, and you're going to enjoy it today. All right. Number one, here's the first principle, and that is that consistency, doing the right thing, doing the godly thing over and over again, consistency provides connection. Now, folks, it is almost impossible to connect with God and experience God, to have intimacy with God, to have peace with God, if one day we're in God and the next day we're out. If one day we're in our Bible and the next day we're out of the Bible. If one time we spend some good quality time in the Word and then it goes two weeks and then maybe we'll just take a lick and a promise and we're out again, folks. We need to be consistent in our time with God, and consistency is a tremendous factor in changing the lives of others and helping them experience God. Perhaps nobody in the entire Bible, no Bible character is any more uh, a picture of consistency than the great prophet Daniel. And so let's go to Daniel chapter 6. This perhaps is the most well-known, one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel, his godly consistency helped him to bring deliverance to an entire nation. He inspired every Israelite to have a deep connection with God just because of his consistent time with God. Let's look at Daniel chapter 6 and verse number 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, we're going to explain that in just a moment, he went into his house. He went into his house. No big, uh, you know, not out on the street or anything like that. He just, he went to his house where he spent a lot of his time serving the Lord and meeting with God. He went into his house and his windows being open. They had a climate somewhat like ours and much of the time, the windows can be open toward Jerusalem. And he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed. Didn't just kneel, he prayed. And he gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Now, David, excuse me, Daniel was a, an amazing, consistent, godly Christian. At this time in his life, he was probably a 70-something years of age. He could have even been in his 80s. Somehow, in some way, God miraculously, and God, of course, put him there for a purpose, but this uh, young Daniel had become an older Daniel. He had served in the government for many years as an intern, and uh, here now he is actually one of the presidents, probably something like a senator. And so they had a council, they would have their senate meetings, uh, he, was, uh, he was in government. But there was one who was the president, he was the king, his name Darius. Well, these uh, uh, 
these cohorts of his, uh, guys from the other side of the aisle, uh, they didn't like him. And maybe some even in his own party. They just didn't really like him because uh, he had the favor of the king. He had the favor of God. And he was just an evangelical Christian. He was a strong, Bible-believing, Jehovah-worshipping believer. He was a strong believer. And that just didn't sit well with that group because they were money-hungry. They were power-hungry. And they didn't like this holy person kind of spoiling their sin. And so they didn't like him. And so anytime they could throw some shade on him, they did. Well, they came up with a plan. They said, you know what we'll do? Now they made it big and never told anybody other than in between. They their little backroom meetings, you know, and here's the plan. Hey guys, okay, we got to get rid of Daniel. And there's no way to get rid of him because he always does the right thing. So if we're going to get rid of him, we're going to have to do it because of his faith. And so they decided to undermine his faith, kind of like we read about what they're planning to do with our Supreme Court nominee. We're going to get her for her faith. (laughs) Well, good luck on that one because God is in charge of that. And I'm looking forward to God putting Amy Barrett in there. Well, um, so here they were. They're going to get old Daniel. They're going to get him down. And so uh, but notice uh, what they uh, do here. Now, they had, uh, they had convinced the king to uh, have a, that nobody could uh, pray, nobody could speak, nobody could sing. Hmm. Forgive me for being a little cryptic here this morning, but uh, a government mandate, you can't sing, you can't pray, you can't talk to anybody except for Darius. And if you pray to anybody, if you do anything religious, you're in big trouble. And so they proclaim a 30-day campaign, a month-long moratorium on any kind of religious activity other than uh, worshiping Darius. And Darius uh, was taken back by it. He was uh, you know, he was happy with the, you know, the adulation of the people. And so he was eating it up. And unfortunately, his own pride, uh, you know, just made him be a sucker to these uh, senators who were, you know, just all over him. So that's what they decided to do. And now notice a little bit about Daniel. His plan was, or his consistent uh, uh, time with God was, first of all, was in his house. Personally, he also had family Bible time consistently. Uh, it says he opened the windows uh, to worship God as creators, and he uh, faced Jerusalem because he may have been in Babylon, but his heart was in Jerusalem. Of course, I think it was also a reminder the, of the heavenly Jerusalem, you know, where uh, worshiping God. Here he was, and he was kneeling. <laughs> and I will tell you, uh, I, I don't do a lot of kneeling, at least. When I do kneel, I only want to kneel once and get down there and get what I'm getting and then, you know, get back up. But it says three times a day he kneeled. And so he must have been in pretty good shape. Uh, he was working full time for the king. Uh, this man was a spry, godly, consistent, wonderful Christian, still serving the Lord vibrantly in his 70s, in his 80s. 
I'm just telling you, folks, don't quit. Don't give up just because you're 80. Amen? And uh, if you're 90, keep on going. And uh, God will take you out when he wants to. But he, uh, Daniel was a spark plug for God. He ended up pulling this leader towards God. And it's so true that when someone is a consistent, godly Christian, they help others experience God. They are, they lift people. Now, as a pastor, you might imagine, for 40 years, you might imagine I've done a lot of funeral services, memorial services. It's not uncommon for someone to play the song, uh, I'm not sure what it's called, but the, here's the words, I can fly higher than an eagle, you are the wind beneath my wings. And that is a, a powerful statement, and people who say that about the deceased say, you know what? You were the wind beneath my wings. I couldn't have soared without you. And thank you for lifting me. And it's so wonderful when other people lift us up by their consistent walk. That's what Paul said. And let's go to the New Testament for a moment. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 9, he said, Brethren, let us not be weary in well-doing. Don't quit doing right, no matter what, like the great... Bob Jones used to say, do right. Even if the stars fall, do right. For in due season, meaning when it's time for the harvest, we'll get it. If we faint not, you'll get a return. And anybody in, uh, knows that if you just keep investing uh, wisely, eventually you'll get a return on that. Verse number 10, as we have therefore opportunity... Every time we have opportunity, our goal is to do good, to lift others, to be the wind beneath their uh, wings, to be the spark plug. I was talking with some people the other day, and they had a retiring um, person they were working with, and they were sad to see this person go because they were a spark plug at their job. They were a cheerleader for everybody. And it's wonderful when someone, as they have opportunity, it says, let us do good unto all men. And folks, that ought to be our motto right there. That's my life's motto. Do good to all men. Amen. I want to do good to all men. Now, it says, especially unto them of the household of faith. Now, everybody deserves me to do good. And I hope I can be the wind for them, the spark plug for their life. One great corporate leader said it this way. He said, success is knowing what your values are and living in a way consistent with your values. And so Daniel, what did he do? Daniel lived in such a way that he connected people to God. He lifted people. He was a tremendous lifter. And when we as parents, when we as a husband or wife, when we connect with God, we lift our spouse. When we, as parents, uh, connect with God, we lift our whole family. But if you don't have a personal walk with the Lord, it's really hard to do good. It says uh, to lift people. Oh, we might be able to help them physically, but I want to lift them spiritually and emotionally as well. So we're going to provide connection with God by our consistent walk. There's a second thing that consistency does uh, as a family. And that is it builds confidence. And the power of consistency really shows up in parenting because it builds confidence in others. In successful homes, both parents must consistently work together, not against one another. 
The Apostle Paul quotes an Old Testament passage. Let's go there. And it's not going to sound like a a marriage verse or a family verse, but it is. (laughs) Deuteronomy chapter 22. The great lawgiver, Moses, the shepherd of Israel, the parent, in a sense, of Israel. Notice what he said. Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 9. Thou shalt not, and I know that sounds real old English, but don't sow in your vineyard different types of seeds. Don't uh, put a plum tree and a peach tree and an apple tree. Uh, Don't put, you know, uh, wheat and barley. Don't put different kinds of seeds in the same area. It's going to be a disaster. It's not going to work. Don't sow thy vineyard with different seeds. Now, that was an Old Testament ceremonial law. It was actually part of their religious ceremony, but it had a tremendous practical aspect. And we're going to see. Let's keep going. Lest the fruit of thy seed which thou hast sown and the fruit of thy vineyard be defiled. The problem is the peach is not going to be the peach, and the plum is not going to be the plum, and the wheat's not going to be the wheat, and the barley's not going to be the barley. It's just going to, it's going to mess everything up. Just don't put different kind of seeds in your vineyard. Verse number 10, he continues, thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. Do not put an oxen and a donkey in the same uh, the same type of bridle, and let them plow that field. One's bigger, one's smaller, one's stronger, one's weaker, uh, one's uh, maybe more stable, one's less stable, one has eats at different times. It's just, it is just not going to work. All right, so that's an Old Testament ceremonial law, but the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 applies it to marriage. He said, folks, he said, You cannot put an oxen and a donkey together. The idea is that a believer should never marry an unbeliever. And I just, of course, need to warn us all again, folks, if you are dating somebody, if you are online and and you find out they're not a believer, I mean, swipe left or right or whatever that is, just don't, you know, whatever, whichever way you swipe to get rid of them, swipe them. And I mean, uh, you just get rid of those folks. And I mean, you don't have to be mean about it, but just folks, just say, look, I, you are a nice person. And honestly, I'm, I'm afraid I might like you. And so, but you're not a believer and I cannot be with you. And so, uh, but if you are married to an unbeliever or uh, a backslidden Christian, I know it's a challenge because you've got different kinds of seed in your home and that seed is in that ground and it's not easy. And Maybe, you know, you've got one that's an oxen, the other is a donkey, and um, it's just, it's not easy. But the point, what it's trying to say here is that if we can, as parents, and as a marriage, and as a family, let's plow together. Let's plant the same kind of seeds. It'd be like a father saying to the wife, the mother saying, honey, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to work together with these children. Too often, one parent will be lenient and one will be strict. The strict one will kind of, you know, lay into the child and the lenient one, you know, kind of pulls back from that, doesn't like that and kind of irritates them. And 
So the lenient one then makes a case for being more lenient, you know, and so they kind of work against the one who's the strict one. The child hears that, sees that, and they get all mixed up. And we know that can't be from God. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 33 says, God is not the author of confusion. And when there's confusion, there's not going to be peace. And so parents pull further and further apart. The child is completely unsettled, loses their sense of security, and then they realize that they're this pawn in the power struggle between their parents. But any child, uh, just about every child I know, it's going to soon pick up on that, and they're going to play the parent against the other parent because, you know, they, they don't want to get the harsh stuff. But we need loving strictness, but there's a time when it can be a little bit too harsh. But Jesus applied this to a home, uh, this kind of concept to spiritual warfare. Look what he said in Matthew 12 and verse 25. Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Folks, it is a tragic thing when the child becomes the proxy parent by making the one parent do this, and then they say this, and the other parent does that. Folks, that just becomes a a terrible uh, blight against one another. We're plowing with donkey and an oxen. You'd say, well, how do we solve such a thing? Well, first of all, don't argue in front of the child, okay? We don't argue in front of the child. Uh, We always go by the rule, public cooperation and private conversation. You know, go behind closed doors if there needs to be clarification. And if you're the lenient one, just make your case. If you're the strict one, you know, make your case. And then you may have to leave it uh, in the Father's hands, you know. But, uh, but whatever the case is, I do know this, that we need to work together, not against one another. And so this consistency builds confidence and security in the heart of a little child. And it's just like our Heavenly Father. Look at James chapter 1 and verse 17. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, cometh down from the Father of lights. He is the Father, a Father of lights and good, with whom is no variableness. God is a God who doesn't change one day and then is different the next day. Thank God He's always the same. He is a Father that doesn't vary Neither is there any shadow of turning. God is a 100% consistent God. And that gives us, by the way, such wonderful confidence in prayer because we know God will never act any other way than consistent with the Word of God. And so consistency provides connection. It gives energy to people. It's the wind beneath their wings. It helps them to connect to God. My stable lifestyle, my stable connecting with God brings other people towards God. It also gives people security. You know, it's a wonderful thing when the kids look over to mom hoping that they'll, you know, give them a break. And mom just says, you do what your dad says. Man, those, poor, those kids, that's a great thing. Boy, that's such a great thing for those children. They know they're not going to be able to work dad against mom and mom against dad. And it might be vice versa, you know. Some, some dads are almost like cruise directors, you know. I mean, it's always about the fun. But folks, we ought to make sure that we are consistent. We're both oxen, 
We have the same kind of seed. We don't sow different seed in our home. Let's work together. If you've got to talk privately, do so. Lovingly, of course. But uh, let's be on the same page. Number three, consistency provides connection. It builds confidence. And then number three, it creates closeness. Marriages and families are strengthened when we consistently complement each other. Not constantly critical, constantly complimentary. You know, uh, when I was growing up, I didn't really realize uh, that I didn't have much. I didn't really think about it. I had a, really had a wonderful rearing, but it was pretty meager a lot of times. And I remember, uh, for example, uh, we couldn't have milk every day. But uh, when you had the days you had milk, it was always nice, but you could only have one glass. So when we went to people's houses and they had nice things, it was always a treat. And I remember growing up, and one of the things I really loved was uh, there's this one lady's house we went to occasionally. Uh, she had this wonderful tea that she would let us have, and uh, it was called a Constant Comment. Maybe you've heard of that kind of tea, but it is this wonderful tea. It has this orange rind and all these sweet spices, and it smells up the room, and she'd put sugar in it. Uh, constant comment. Ah, oh, it was a great memory. I can smell it right now. But I will tell you, as I've gotten older, the tea that I've noticed some people make is not sweet. Oh, they, it's constant comment, all right but it's not a sweet tea at all. It's a bitter tea because the husband can't do anything without there being a constant comment. The wife can't do anything without there being a constant comment. I don't think there's a, a passage in Scripture that's any more a beautiful example of how we ought to talk to our spouse than the Song of Solomon. In fact, the Song of Solomon is basically uh, the greatest uh, love manual in the world. Go there. Uh, get, get to know that. You're, you ought to be madly in love with your wife or madly in love with your husband. Let's go to chapter 4 for a moment. Now, the, the, the words, you can't, even, you can't even preach the Song of Solomon in a mixed crowd hardly, you know, but uh, I'm going to just lay out some of the more um, kind of uh, middle of the road compliments, you know, but uh, you got to know that this is a real man. Solomon, who had a real bride, the Shunammite, who was really speaking to her this way, maybe not in the old English, but I mean, he, it was all this beautiful, wonderful love language. And the, of course, the whole Song of Solomon is about our relationship to, to our groom and we as the bride of Christ. I mean, it's just such a great picture. But, note, but don't miss the fact that this was a real couple. And so Solomon was saying to his bride, look at verse 1, behold. In other words, look, look, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within your beautiful long locks. Verse 3, thy lips are like a thread of scarlet. She was beautiful, red lips, and thy speech is comely. You talk with this beautiful sound. And that, verse 7, thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. And 
He was close to her. Folks, that is how a husband talks to his wife. In the book of Song of Solomon, she describes her lover, her husband. It's the same way. And it's just, it is absolutely beautiful. Now, it's divine poetry, but it's meant to show us, I think, a couple of things. Not only, of course, our relationship with God, how much He is intimate with us and loves us, but I think it's to remind us, talk nice, be sweet. Let's be loving in our words and complimenting each other. I have known, sadly, not just a few men, and I've heard from them how they have heard their dear wife pay their child a wonderful compliment, secretly hungering that maybe someday she would turn to him and look longingly in his eyes and saying, I want to tell you, you are the most amazing husband. The way you took that trash out today was unbelievable. Nobody is as strong as you. I saw those muscles flex as you picked up that bag of trash. You even knew to do it on your own. I didn't say a word. You just picked up that trash. You even took it to the trash can. I cannot believe thou art fair, my husband. Thou art the greatest of all. Now, folks, <laughs> many a husband has just longed for a wife to just longingly look at him and say, you are all that and more. You're a bucket of chicken. And uh, I mean to tell you, you are something. And that's what a husband longs to hear. And uh, that's what a wife longs to hear. But so often, I'm telling you what, people just, I'm telling you what, I'm in some of these stores. Oh, <laughs> and the way people talk to each other, hmm, these, uh, apparently they're, I wouldn't know that they're husband and wife, but it, I guess they're husband and wife, seem like they're husband and wife, but boy, the way they talk to each other. I, uh, one time we were at a little dramatic production and there was a, 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 a couple, they came and they were parking, we happened to be sitting there watching, and uh, he was uh, trying to back up into the space, but I guess he just really wasn't a very good backer-upper. And uh, so the wife decided she'd get out and help him. And uh, so she got out into the parking lot, and then she started, you know, going like this and saying, going like this and back like this. And then she'd get a look on her face like, you know, and then she was saying thing, bad things, you know. And I leaned over to Pauline and I said, I really think the best thing, if that guy just gunned it and just rode her right over, you know, like that, you know. <laughs> She'd never do that again, I don't think, but anyway. Now, could you roll back that tape there and just doesn't take that off there? I, I do not believe in violence, I do not, but anyway, unless it's necessary, but um, no, I'm just, I'm just, just kidding with you. The fact is, uh, we need to be loving. Now, obviously, there's times when we have to stop, clarify things, and just kind of, you know, get things, uh, you know, talk plainly. I know uh, Pauline will tell you this. I'm, I'm not the kind of guy that can just let things go. I, I'm just not that kind of guy. I, I can't minister. I can't preach. I mean, I can't do anything if I feel like there's something between my wife and I. I just I can't do it. That's just... Well, I'm made, but 
And so there has, there has, as a result of that, sometimes there's some plain conversations that we've had to have with each other, and that's a, a two-way street. But I, I do know this, that if we are grateful rather than grumpy, if it is our constant and steady choice to be, uh, have admiration, we build trust. You know the, uh, the most common ingredient of intimacy? The most common ingredient of intimacy is trust. You're not going to be close to somebody you know you don't trust. I mean, you're not going to open yourself up emotionally, mentally. You, in fact, if you don't trust the person, you won't pretty much almost say nothing. But if you trust somebody, you'll talk to them. That's why it's important. That's why God says, for example, in James chapter four and verse eight, "Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you." The whole point here is this: that we ought to purposely work on closeness by becoming, uh, by being complimentary and nice to each other and speaking sweetly. And you'd say, oh, well, I was kind of rough, folks. And I will tell you fellows, don't, don't speak rough because that woman, she just has a tender little spirit there. And, and, the same, and, and, and it's even harder on the guys. I mean, when a wife is rough on, his, on the husband, man, it just it just emasculates him. You know, you might as well just cut him off at the knees. And so, folks, we've got to love each other, be sweet to one another, purposely, intentionally share loving words with each other, notes, whatever the case is. Folks, do that. It consistent, build, consistently speaking well to each other builds closeness, trust. And so it provides connection, it builds confidence, it creates closeness, and number four, it clarifies communication. And that is honestly one of the biggest issues we see in the homes is people just don't communicate. I mean, for some people, it's been days, weeks, months, years, decades perhaps, where they've had just a real wonderful, nice conversation where they actually talk with one another and where they actually just uh, share and be, communicate. When we communicate constantly and when we communicate consistently, when we're on the same page, it is powerful for others around us. The Apostle Paul and all the apostles really were so good at this. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57. Here he was preaching to the church at Corinth and he said, thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. He begins by saying, victory comes from Jesus. He was on that page. John said the same thing and Peter said the same thing. All these wonderful guys. Hey folks, victory comes from Jesus. Therefore, based on that, verse 58, by the way, chapter 15 is off this wonderful doctrinal chapter chapter where people were all getting worried. Maybe, maybe Jesus has already come and maybe we're not going to be resurrected. And I mean, there's a lot of issues. And Paul stops and says, stop. Let's all get on the same page. Victory comes through Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead. You are going to be able to rise because of his resurrection. Victory comes through the risen Savior, verse 57. Therefore, based on this, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Steadfast. That's the word for sitting. Sit down, 
Stop. Find your place in church and sit there. Folks, there's going to be a mad rush from that new building over there on that first Sunday to find your seat. But I want you to go out there, find it, and lay claim to it and uh, say, this is where I'm going to sit for the next 20 years or 30 years if the Lord tarries is coming. And then if someone sits in your seat, it's all right. But uh, be steadfast. Be steadfast. The word means to sit down. It means really to be firm. Be firm in your doctrine. Be firm in the truth of God's word. And then it says unmovable. In the Greek, that's the word kinetos. Kinetos, it means we get our word kinetic from it or energy. Actually, the English word cinema comes from that, which means a moving picture. And so God said, man, you guys are moving here, moving there. He said, stop it. Stop moving around. Settle down, settle in, and get on board. And I'm just going to go ahead and announce it right now, folks. When we get into that new building, it is not just a a place that's going to be wonderful and beautiful and safe and uh, just so good for the Word of God and worship. Folks, this is a day of Pentecost for our church, and we're going to need everybody on board. And for those of you that are out there, you've been sitting around long enough. You are hereby called to be in church. And and as soon as that time comes, folks, because here's what it says, be unmovable. Don't be a cinema. Don't be constantly moving. Just settle down, settle in, and let's build this thing for Jesus Christ. And Paul uh, and all the apostles said, if we are going to have a strong church, we can't be movable. We, can't, we have to be steadfast in our faith. And I will say, folks, consistency is the great key in effective parenting. Children learn boundaries when parents communicate. When we consistently enforce healthy rules. When we tell them that there's consequences in the home. Make good eye contact with them. Be positive in your tone of voice. Work on a pleasant facial expression. Some folks look like they, you know, about ready to kill somebody with like an axe murderer or something. I mean, get a, try to work on your facial expression. And then with your children, I think this is a good verse, James 5, 12, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Folks, if we say one thing and do another, we're going to create this disaster in the home. Of course, this verse is not about family raising. The context of this verse is about, you know, in oaths or when you, you know, commit to something, uh, let your yes be a yes. Don't, it's not a, it's not a maybe. But too many times in a family, our yes means, uh, you know, maybe, or our no means maybe, and our children know that. And we actually do them a disservice and our self a disservice as a parent by constantly letting them know that our no means, well, maybe if you beg me enough. But no, it ought to be, yes means yes, and no means no. I got to tell you, many a time, especially seemed like it was with the daughters, not because they were disobedient more, but I just had a hard time holding to my word with the daughters because, you know, they'd look at me with those big eyes, you know, and if I said, okay, there is no dessert for you, no dessert. And, uh, and I mean, it was just the hardest thing. 
Now for Luke and Nathan, man, it didn't bother me at all, you know. It's like, no dessert? Yeah, that's right. And no dessert tomorrow either if you give me any lip. And, uh, but the girls, you know, they'd look at me here. They, you know, oh my goodness. I mean, I had to, you know, I look over and my wife would look at me like, don't you dare go in, you know. Don't you dare. I'm like, all right, you know. But uh, praise God, you know, I tell you what, when you hold, let your yay be yay and your nay nay and Make sure that if you say no, it doesn't mean nay, maybe it means no. That's why it's important to be careful what you say. Amen. Don't say, you're not going to eat dessert for the next five years, you know. Well, you do that, then uh, you're not going to keep to that. We know you're not. You know, I'm really excited about this new sign we have. We've got lots of nice comments, and it's a beautiful sign out there. And, and uh, they told us when we uh, were putting it together that... Uh, with as fast as people are going by, the, you know, eight seconds was the perfect amount of the slide time. And so, you know, the slides are set, I think, for eight seconds. And so, but I was thinking about that, you know, uh, it's constantly changing. And we have a little, several little uh, recipe of several things. We try to change it now and then. But, you know, um, I was thinking that's, to me, like what, unfortunately, what some parents are like. They're, they have one message on their signboard for eight seconds. Eight seconds later, they change. Eight seconds later, they change again. And the children are like, what in the world? I mean, one minute we're going to church. Next minute, we're not. One minute, dad's quoting the Bible. Next minute, he's got some wicked thing on the TV. One minute, we're doing this. And the next minute, you know, one minute, oh, come on now. And here's what the Bible says about that. Proverbs 24 and verse 21 and 22. I don't have it on your notes there, but you can look it up later. Proverbs 24, verse 21. Meddle not. Just don't even mess with people that are given to change. For their calamities shall rise suddenly. Folks, people that are inconsistent are dangerous. If nothing else, just for your own mental health. One of the great key problems in consistently communicating well is making yourself understood. I was at a place and I saw a little placard. I'd seen it before, but I had to laugh when I read it. You've seen it. Here's what that placard said. I know you believe you understand what you think I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. What? I had to go back and look over that. Basically, it just means what my dad used to say. Say what you mean, son, and then mean what you say. That's just what that means. It means, you know, sometimes we communicate with words. Sometimes we communicate with our face. And let's just make sure that our yay is yay and our nay is nay. My dad used to love to tell this story, and I've told it over the years, and he, it's about this same concept that sometimes what we say is not understood because, you know, it's just said in a way that is not what truly communicating. He told about the guy from Russia that was uh, not happy with his country. And uh, he said, this is a fine country. Well, the KGB heard about it and they did not like that one bit. So they looked up the fellow and 
came to him and said, Sir, we understand you have been criticizing Mother Russia. He said, Oh, no, what do you mean? What? They said, We heard that you've been saying this is a fine country. He said, Oh, no, I did not say this is a fine country. I said, This is a fine country. And you know, the truth is, how we say things communicates so loudly. Ah, our words don't always match that. And so let's make sure as a family that we are consistent clarifying our communication, that our face, our tone, our words are all together. And then number five, not only does it build uh, confidence and provide connection and produce closeness and clarifies communication, but finally, it grows consecration. Consecration means just growing our faith in the Lord, our separation to the Lord. Imagine for a minute with me that you planted a tree, took the time to dig it and plant a tree, and that tree started growing. 30 days later, you pull it out, walk over the other side of the yard, dig dig another hole, pull it up, and then stick it over in that hole. You let that go for 30 days, and then you decide, I'm going to move it over here. You do that five or six times. Is that tree going to grow? No way. And that's what we do with our family. For 30 days, we're strong in church. And for two months, we're not. For 30 days, we're in our Bible. For three months, we're not. Folks, that kind of inconsistency is not going to grow consecration in our family. That wonderful promise that God gave to Abraham was a tremendous promise of consecration. The great Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1 through 3 But I want to focus on verse 3 for just a moment. God told Abraham, if you, I've got this wonderful promise for you. And then he ends with this. And in thee, that's amazing. In you, Abraham, because of your consistent walk with God, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now we know that was came to be because of the Messiah, which came through Abraham. But specifically, look what happened from one man. One man cast this shadow that was so long that all the families of the earth were blessed. And all you have to do is go to Hebrews chapter 11, the great New Testament who's who of the Bible, and you can see that. Now, was Abraham perfect? No. The Bible's very clear. No. We don't uh, all have come short of the glory of God. He wasn't perfect, but I'll tell you one thing. He was dedicated to his Savior because of Abraham's consistent walk with God. His son Isaac voluntarily gave himself as a sacrifice. And then, as a result, Isaac was able to bless his children, Jacob and Esau. Then Jacob was able to bless the sons of Joseph. Joseph then was able to bless others, folks, All these generations started with Abraham and Sarah. You know, this beautiful thing that we've started here in Lodi, Stockton, this whole region, you understand that this is just the beginning, right, folks? This is just a, this is a seed. This is a Abrahamic seed. If the Lord tarries, I'm telling you what, in a decade... In two decades, in five decades, folks, there's going to be an 
Abrahamic movement going around here of people who love Scripture, who love church, who believe in righteousness, family after family, just serving the Lord because you made a difference. You were consistent. You didn't just lay out for a while. No, you were consistent. Folks, we got to be consistent in all that we do. Let's be consistent in our time with the Lord. Get up and spend time with the Lord and make sure that unless we're either working or if we're sick, we're in church. And if we're consistently following the scriptural truths of God's Word, and let's consistently hate sin, and let's just be kind of people that, well, I'll tell you one thing, I, I know <laughs> we, uh, when we were studying, when all the things were kind of going haywire around here with all the lockdown stuff, <laughs> several of the pastors started um, calling other pastors to find out what they were going to be doing. You know, what, what are you going to be doing? We never did, but uh, we, uh, we, because we pretty much knew what we were going to do, you know. But uh, we heard behind the scenes that uh, somebody had asked, uh, I wonder what the home church is going to do. And the person who was related, someone in our church said, you don't even have to ask. They are going to be open. <laughs> they are going to be open. And I was glad that that's the testimony. That's the testimony that, you know what, folks, we are going to be in church. We're going to be serving God by His grace. And unless they bring out the state police, by God's grace, we're going to be meeting. We may have to meet under a tree here. But I'll tell you one thing, we want to meet for God. There's going to be no closing. We are going to be here. Why? Because we are following God. And I just, only thing I know to say is, you know what, we are going to be consistent. The other day, I walked into our kitchen area, and I flipped on one of the switches there, and there's some, Paulina's made uh, some beautiful little pendant deco lights there, and kind of over the counter, and, and uh, usually they're kind of dim, you know, and nice, you know, kind of mood setting, but all of a sudden, I, I flipped it on, and one of those things went real bright, and then boom, it was gone. I was thinking about how many times that really represents, I think, so many Christians. We're dim for the longest time, and then all of a sudden we're bright like flash in a pan, and then we're out. We're dim, we're bright, we're gone. Folks, God wants us to be consistent lights for Him. Let's all bow our heads forward to prayer, if you please. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Are we a consistent light or a dim light? May God give us the grace to, and I just want to say thank God for this church. You, you are uh, bright lights for the Lord. Thank you. If you're here today and you've been feeling like, you know what, uh, I feel like I've been kind of slacking off or I've been not consistent in my family life, or perhaps you'd say, you know what, I I might be like that tea you talked about, constant comment. It's not sweet either. It's not, uh, it's not nice. I need to do something with my mouth. I need to do something with my Christian life. I need to be a parent that says their yay is yay and their nay is nay. We need to be a loving family. We need to be a committed couple. For too long, we've been planting different kinds of seeds in our soil. 
For too long we've been plowing with an ox and a donkey. For too long we've been not on the same page. We've been movable. And I see what you said. Be unmovable, steadfast. Just keep abounding in the work of the Lord. We're going to have a time of just uh, consecration to the Lord. And as a marriage, as a family, I just encourage you to feel free in just a moment and begin to sing. Come down here and kneel and just say, you know what? By God's grace, we want a family that is solid, not changing. We're committed. Our face is set like a flint towards Calvary. We are a Bible-loving, Christ-honoring, church-going family. We want to do the right thing as a couple. I want to be a loving spouse uh, for each other, complimentary. In a minute, we're just going to come and kneel and say, God, I just need your special grace to do that. We need your grace. The devil is attacking our families and been dis- dis- trying to... Dis- just uh, destroy churches during this season. How much more should we need to make that? If you're here and you're single or you're a single parent, God's got a plan for you, a special plan. I know he does. Would you, right now, you'd say, well, pastor, would you include me in that closing prayer for the grace of God as a marriage or on our family or just as a single? I just need the grace of God to be a consistent Christian. Would you just lift your hand and just lift it up? Praise God. I purpose to be a consistent Christian, consistent family, marriage. Praise God. Father, I thank you for these whose hands are raised. And Lord, I just pray for your special grace for them. Be with us here today as we leave, Lord, as we make this statement for you. God, give them special grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You're here, and, or perhaps you're listening online. You'd say, well, how can I get in on this thing to really know Jesus is my Lord and Savior? Well, just pray this prayer on the authority of God's Word. If you'll just pray this prayer, dear Jesus, I want to be a Christian. I want to be saved. He will save you. He will come into your heart and you will establish. You'll have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life and you'll have established a Christian, godly